0: Good morning. It's good to see you today. Thank you for being here. I'm glad that you're here. It's good to be back with you. I was out last week, and so first thing I want to do is thank Adam Ohm, one of our other elders, for teaching for us and leading during this time. I got to listen on the live stream while I was driving, and um, it was really good in general just to hear all of you all studying through John 9 um, the intro that he did, just on the, some of the foundational truths that we believe about the Bible and how it informs the way that we want to teach and want to study the Bible and and want to approach the Bible as a church. If you were here last week, like if we could bottle up that section and and we could just all remind ourselves, if you could remind yourself of that day in and day out when you study the Bible, it was just a great, great summary of this is this is. What the Bible is and why we would approach it this way, because of the way that God has uh, spoken and revealed himself and his teaching through the Bible, and if you weren't here last week, if you want to go back on the website um, and listen to those first ten minutes, listen to the whole thing. But just that summary was so so good, um, and so thank you, Adam, thanks for doing that. I really appreciate it. It is a, it's a blessing for me it's a privilege for me um, to get to teach with a, a, a team of guys that um, that I know that whoever is up here, that the Bible is going to be central, that the spirit is going to be the master teacher, and that our focus is going to be on who God is, and our focus is going to be on how he's revealed himself in Jesus, and what he said about himself in the gospel, and so I'm just really thankful for that, Um, and it was a good Sunday for me listening to it, and so I appreciate that. A few quick things before we jump into Ephesians, and we're going to get into Ephesians here in just a minute. At the end of the service today, you've probably noticed from the chairs, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And I always like to try to mention that at the beginning, just so that you can be focusing your heart and mind in that direction as we're studying the Bible together. And so the kids will come in with us towards the end, and we'll take communion together um, and and sing a couple more songs of worship as we're doing that. Right after the service, uh, we are having another one of our friendship Q&A's. Um, up in what's usually the children's worship room. Even if you haven't signed up and you want to hang around, if you've got questions about the church, that's a time for that. I'll be up there uh, just to sit and chat for a little while. We've got pizza and drinks. Um, we've got playground for the kids, if you've got kids. And so even if you haven't signed up, you're welcome. You're invited. Um, there's no pressure to stay for a certain amount of time. Or if you want to catch the next one because you weren't planning on it today, we'll have another one in a month, six to eight weeks. We'll just see. But questions about the church, questions about Sunday morning, something that may have come up in the sermons in the past month that you're like, I'd really like to talk more about that, but I didn't want to ask that in here. Um, That's a time for that. You know, If you're involved in a community group or leading a community group and something's come up in the discussion time and you're like, I've got some questions about this, we can talk through that. Whatever would help you during that time, we just want to let you know that we've set that aside again this Sunday and you're invited to stay. If you'd like to, we'd love for you to do that. And if it needs to be the next one, we'll have another one here in a few weeks. Another update for this week, um, At the end, later in this week, and this is kind of big news for us in terms of just the life of our church organization, we're supposed to have several official people in different capacities on our campus uh, related to um, our insurance claim from the storm damage from two and a half years ago now. And it is possible that this is going to be like, the last moment of inspections for everybody, and it's possible that within an unspecified time frame, but maybe the next few weeks, we're going to get a final ruling and report. Um, and I share that with you, first of all, just to give you an update and let you know things are still happening, and we're thankful for that, that we don't have all the information, and we always want you to know that. But most of all, um, it feels like this may be the closest we've been yet to some sort of resolution. And I know that your elders and staff and leaders would really appreciate if you'd be praying this week, um, just for finality, that we could move on from this and move on to other things and spend time and energy and focus on other things that, honestly, we think matter more spiritually. Um, and also, just pray for a fair and just resolution. Like, I think that would be a good thing for us to ask for. Like We're not asking for the world, and uh, we're asking for what's just fair and just for the church that we could move forward however God wants us to. And then most of all, I do think whatever comes of this, that God would make it clear how he wants us to move forward as a church. How does he want us to use what we have to make disciples? that that's our focus that's what matters it's not dependent on a facility it's not dependent on a location that it's the spirit of god living inside the people of god that he's made us his church we keep seeing that over and over in ephesians that we are his body that he lives in us and works through us and that we wouldn't become so focused or dependent on things other than him that we miss the way that he does build his church and he does his work and he makes disciples in the world and so I would really appreciate it. I know all of us would appreciate it as far as your elders and your staff and your leadership if you would be praying with us this week. And when we hear something back, and I really don't know, is that a week from now? Is that three weeks from now? Is that a month from now? We'll, you know we'll keep giving you updates, and as soon as we can, I'll be happy to give you an update. Um, but just pray with us right now. We, and I am, I want you to know I'm thankful, and I think we all have a sense of anticipation. Uh, and it's that type of anticipation where it's like, I've had a sense of anticipation several times now, and so I'm a little bit hesitant to have a sense of anticipation again, Um, but we have this sense of anticipation of, okay, maybe this is going to be it. Maybe we're almost there. And so let's just pray that we'll be there, all right? If you all be praying that this week. And then next Sunday, I know I've got several announcements today, more than usual, but it's just the way it is. Part of it has to do, I think, with fall break. Next Sunday, the way that it's worked out We've got several staff people who are going to be gone uh, for either family stuff or trips that have been planned for a year or fall break stuff. And so I don't want to try to spin this like this super spiritual decision. Um, this is practical decision, but also I'll be honest with you, it's one of my favorite things in the world that we have done, and it may be wrong to say this about a type of service because it's kind of like having your favorite kid, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, we're going to do a family service. Where all the kids are in here with us. And if you remember back Christmas, the Sunday, Christmas Eve, and the Sunday after Christmas, um, I was down here with the kids with the Jesus Storybook Bible. Same Bible study method that we use in here with the adults, but just with the kids. And so we're going to have one of those family services next Sunday. Any age, all ages, your kids are welcome to be in here. We will still provide child care and Bible study for preschool age if you would rather them be up there. It doesn't bother me if they're in here. They can climb on me. They can pull on me when I'm sitting down there. It's fine. Um, I'm used to that. Uh, So they're welcome. They're always welcome, by the way. All your kids are welcome. Crying babies are welcome. They're all welcome. They're also welcome up there because, you know, Teresa and our volunteers do a great, great job of pointing them to Jesus and teaching them about the Bible. So if it's helpful for you for them to be up there, that's great. If it's good for you to have them in here and worship together as a family, always invited. But next week, just for mainly for staffing purposes, just so you know the truth, we're going to have a family service, and I'm excited about it. I'm really looking forward to it. And so the teaching time will be a little bit different. I'll be down here with the kids, and we'll let them teach us, um, and they always do a great job of that. And we'll probably condense the service some. I think you can anticipate 45 to 60 minutes, a little bit shorter than usual. Um, But just wanted you to know that was going to be uh, a switch up for next Sunday morning. And then finally, and then we're going to jump into Ephesians, I wanted to give you an update on our community groups, our small groups, um, because about a month ago I was saying I think a great thing for us this fall would be to really emphasize how do we get more of us plugged into these smaller groups throughout the week where we can share life with one another and do life together and pray for one another and care for one another and live out the type of one another commands that we see in Ephesians and all throughout the New Testament for what the church is supposed to be with one another. Because you know, while this is profitable for us, hopefully spiritually each week, this isn't the full scope of what God intends the church to be for one another. And so I'd ask you to be praying and even thinking toward, can we start 10 new community groups this fall? And I just wanted to give you an update that we've got a, a ladies group that's starting on Tuesday mornings at 9.30 here on campus And that's going to coincide with some of our children's programming that we have during the week so that it's available even to a lot of people who take advantage of that programming and aren't part of our church yet. And so we're really excited about that. And, And if that works well for your schedule then you're invited. We'd love for you to be part of that group. Uh, We've had another Wednesday night group. We've got several Wednesday night groups now when we've got child care on campus, but we've added another one, and what that's done is it's freed up some space and some of our other groups, and so there's some more openings on Wednesday nights, if that would be a good time for you to get plugged into a community group. Uh, We've got a Friday morning men's group that's meeting at Chick-fil-A and Hermitage um, at, at 6.30, so if you want to come before work, early on a Friday morning, uh, that's a time for you that, that you can get plugged in. And then I, I've got a couple meetings in the next couple of weeks, and we've got some other conversations between staff and people, about people that are interested in starting some more groups um, at various times throughout the week. Um, and then we've got our groups that were already going, and a lot of those we've got a list. That if you're interested in them, just let us know. But I'm really thankful for that. Thank you for your openness to that and your willingness, and I'm thankful for the way that God's working and, and prompting people uh, to step up and say yeah i want to lead a group let's study the bible this way or or i feel equipped because of the way that we're approaching the bible that yes i can pray with people read a section of the bible ask what's this teach about god and ask god to speak to us and so i'm really thankful for that and excited to share that with you and i pray that we'll keep moving in that direction and so don't hesitate to reach out to us at the end of a service to call the office during the week to email one of us Um, All of our emails are on the church website, and just let us know if that's the the direction that God is leading you, either to get involved or to help us start another one. All right, that's all the announcements. I don't think I've ever told you all this. Maybe I have. I hate doing announcements. (laughs) Like, I just, I hate it. it. I don't know why, but it is, like, this level of anxiety for me. I'll stand up here all day, and we talk about the Bible, and I enjoy doing that, but I hate and And there, that stuff was important right then. Like we need to talk about every single bit of that. I know that. Um, but it just, whew. So, Ephesians. Darren. You did a great job. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I love the announcement video. Like it keeps me, but then there's always like something else I've got to add. But all the fall break staff moving around. Justin was gone this past week, and he usually does the video for us. So. And the thing is, I would have had to say all this anyway. It didn't even matter. But Ephesians, um, the last time I was with you two weeks ago, we were in Ephesians 4, and I read the whole thing, and you all got to share a little bit about what God was teaching you about him. And then I talked a whole lot, Um, and so I had really thought we would pick up in the middle of Ephesians 4 and go to the middle of Ephesians 5 today, but I just kept not being able to not read the whole part of Ephesians 4 because it does go together, and I wanted to make sure that I'd given you enough time to share what you were seeing, so I'm going to read a little longer chunk. I just wanted to prepare you up front if you can hang in there with me. We're going to start at the beginning of chapter 4, and we're going to go to 521 Um, which that's one more verse than you have in your worship guide, and that's my fault when I was communicating. I said 520, and I meant to put 21 in there. So I'll read one more verse than you see. Um, We'll read that long section, and then you feel free, even if it's in the first part of chapter 4, to share what you're seeing about God. Um, And then towards the end, before we move into the Lord's Supper, I do have a couple of things that have just kind of just repeatedly popped up in my head the past two weeks as I've been thinking about this section that I want to share with you. So I'm going to pray for us and not part of just a like, hey, this is what we do. We pray right now. Like not just a ritual, not just a routine. I pray that it's not empty, mindless ritual right now, but it is us really saying we know who God is and we know who we are and we need him and we know that he's good and he gives. And so we're going to ask, And we're going to ask that His Spirit will teach right now. Not me, not you, as you share what He's given to you, but that He will teach um, the song that we sang, that the Word of God will speak, that the Spirit will speak through the Word, um, and that He will do a spiritual work. And so we're going to pray, and then I'm going to read this section so that we're hearing from Him and not just my words or our thoughts. And I'm going to ask you to listen primarily, like we always do, as our starting place for what does this teach about God? And then as we see who God is showing us that he is, we're going to ask, if that's true about God, what's he saying to us this morning? What does that mean for us? How should it affect us if we are his people, his family, his children, his body, his church? If this is who he is, what's that mean for us? So that's where we're headed. Um, If you'll pray with me right now, we'll jump into Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Father, thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. That you are willing to speak to us and reveal yourself to us and make yourself known. And that you are faithful to do it when your people come to you. In the name of Jesus. Trusting in him and depending on you. That by your spirit and from your word you reveal truth to us and not just any truth but the truth of who you are that we may know you and so we ask you to do that right now Father I ask you to do that right now in a way that none of us can do apart from you that I cannot bring about I pray that in a a real sense prayer that we sang just a few minutes ago, that it would be true that we would be at a loss for words, and that it would be your words right now. We ask you to teach us by your Spirit, from your Word, as only you can. And we ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, because of his life, death, and resurrection. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, Ephesians 4, running through 521. It'll be on the screen. Uh, All of it except the last verse is in your worship guide as well there, if, if that's helpful to you. Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, I know there's a lot there, and there's no pressure to mine every detail, this week we'll see what God leads us to cover today, and if we need to circle back around in a couple of weeks, we will. Um, and we'll spend as much time here as we need, or if it's time to move on, we'll do that too. And I just I want to remind you as we start that all this is built on the first three chapters, all the things that we've seen about who God is in Ephesians one through three. And if you haven't been here with us for that, or if that's kind of drifted out of your mind like it does to mine sometimes. I'd invite you to read the first three chapters again this week, and you're welcome to go back and listen to some of those sermons if that's helpful to you. But with that as the foundation, jumping into that therefore in chapter 1, that's why I want to be so intentional about pointing it out. It's because verse 1 immediately, I said chapter 1, verse 1 of chapter 4 immediately points us right back to the first three chapters. Like, hey, because of all that, therefore, all this. Um, So with that as the basis, what is standing out to you this morning? What does this teach us about God? who He is, how He works, Father, Son, Spirit. A few truths about God that are standing out to you. The greater our foundation in God's Word, the stronger we stand against the worldly influence. The greater our foundation in God's Word the stronger we stand against worldly influence. Chris, you want to, since there's so many verses, especially this so week, we try to do this every week, but you want to point us to exactly what you're looking at there so we can all look at it with you. Mm-hmm. Down to yeah, so the gifts in this section is talking about the gifts that Jesus has given to his church, and he's given all these different speaking people, right? People who are going to use their words apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers they're going to use their words to equip the saints for the work of the ministry in order to build up the body of Christ. So all these different teachers, speakers who are communicating truth for the growth and good and building up of the church so that we're united, all of us are united in the faith and our knowledge of Jesus. That we're we're hearing the same truth, being taught the same truth so that we are one in what we believe and especially one in what we know about Jesus So that spiritual maturity is coming about, that we're growing into the fullness of who Jesus is as he lives in us, and that one of the results of this is so that we won't be spiritual children, spiritual infants, who are tossed around by everything that we hear from the world, and even everything that we hear from religion that isn't grounded in Jesus and the truth of who he is. That those things wouldn't have a pull or a push or a tug or an influence or a shaping power over our hearts and minds because we're being built up so strongly by the gifts that Jesus has given to people in the church for the good of the whole church, that we're coming to a knowledge of who he is in a way, and we're so grounded in him and grounded in his truth and grounded in his gospel that every time that we hear stuff that isn't him and isn't the gospel, it immediately runs through this filter of, I know that's not true because I know what the truth is. I know who the truth is. And so, yeah, and and the greater our foundation in God's word and the way that he reveals himself to his church through Jesus, the stronger we stand against all the things that aren't him and aren't his truth. What else stands out to you? God has given a perfect outline of how to live. Life. God has given a a that is pleasing to him. And I don't know if this happens to you or not when you get into this section. I mean, wherever you want to start, but... way all falsehood. I always speak the truth. Be angry, but don't sin. Like, don't ever sin in your anger. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't steal. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Only things that are good for building up to give grace to those who hear. No bitterness, no wrath, no anger, no clamor, no slander, no malice. How are you doing so far? <laughs> then, and that's just the negative, right? Like, don't do that stuff. But then the problem is, if I find a way to avoid all that, here's what's got to replace it. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And not just any type of forgiveness, the way that God's forgiven you in Christ. How many of you forgive as completely and as perfectly as God has forgiven you? How many of you are able to look at the people who have hurt you the most and say, I'll take all the cost instead of demanding it from you. Love as Christ loved us. Do you love everybody in your life the way that Jesus loves you? And then when you're like, well, that's just, that, I mean, no, that's so ridiculous it doesn't even convict me. All right, take the people. Absolutely. Do you love your family, your children, your spouse, your closest friends, Like, do you love them the way that Christ loved you? Everything that happens in your relationship with them, do you think about them instead of just how it affects you? Are you always patient with them? (laughs) Always kind, always tenderhearted, always compassionate, always merciful. God's given a perfect outline of how to live a life that's pleasing to him, and it's true, and Paul continues to pile it up. I've stopped there, but there's more and more and more And it's Jesus. Like it's Jesus in this sense. First of all, just notice the phrases here. As God in Christ forgave you. you know, what should your tenderheartedness and kindness and forgiveness look like? Like Jesus' tenderheartedness and kindness and forgiveness. What should your love look like? Like Jesus, love. What should your self-sacrifice and your willingness to put others first look like? Like the way that Jesus gave Himself up for us. Like to what extent should you love others and give yourself to others to the point of dying? That you give up your. That's how He gave Himself up for us. That's how we're called to love one another and give ourselves. The one. So, so Jesus is the picture. Right? Jesus is the pattern. Jesus is the example. The the this. Perfect outline that God has given us is the life of Jesus. And then also, and you're welcome, like, if you want to object to this in here, and we, like, it's, it's healthy for us to dialogue, we can do that right now or afterward if you want to come and be like, hey, I know you said that, but I don't agree. We can have, really, I invite you to, but I'm just going to say, as far as I know, like, Jesus is the pattern, and also, None of us live up to this pattern. There's two things that happen in this text. I think if we're honestly allowing the Spirit to expose our hearts, that this text says, do you see who Jesus is? Do you see how glorious and unique and wonderful Jesus is? Do you see there's nobody like Jesus? Are you drawn to him? Are you in awe of him? Does your faith in him grow a little stronger because of who he is? Do you see that he's everything? He's all of it. He's the, the heart of all your faith and all your religion and all your. Like, do you see who Jesus is? And then, secondly, do you see how much you need him? Do you see that you are not this? Not apart from him? You're not this the way that he is. Like there, there is a built in humility here. There should be a built in brokenness, a built in. Like this. An honest reading of what Paul says about this is what the body of Christ should look like. This is what the people of God should look like. This is what the children of the light, the children of God, the people who have God as their father now because he's adopted, this is what they should look like. An honest reading of that should be like, I'm not that. I'm not that the way that he says and the thing is, the more that he shows me I'm not that, it's like when he peels back a layer and exposes it in my heart, and I look at it, all it does, he's like, there's ten more layers below that, and you can't see them yet because I've just got to deal with this one first. Like, the more he shows me I'm not like that, the more I realize I'm not like this. And what it should do, and you like, that's why if we started in chapter 4, this whole thing's hopeless. If we started the way that it's natural for us to start in our flesh, in our natural minds, in the world's way of doing things, and in a natural, human, man-centered, religious way of doing things, if you started in four and five, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to give up, and you're going to say, forget this, I can't do this, and you're going to get angry because of the way that it makes you feel overwhelmed, or you're going to get exhausted because you've tried, and you're just going to shut down, and you're going to live a life of rebellion, you're going to say, this is stupid, I'm not doing it. And what you really mean is I can't. And I can't bear the fact that I'm supposed to, and I can't. So I'm going to say the problem's with this, and I'm just going to walk away from it. And people do that all the time. And they're not walking away from Christianity when they do that. They're walking away from a Christless moralism, from Christless morality. Or, if you don't do that, the other thing that you're going to do is you're going to find a really creative way to religiously pretend and you're going to convince yourself, I'm doing this. And one of, the, one of the best ways we do it is, I won't actually look to Jesus as the perfect outline. I'll start looking at everybody else. And I'll find ways they aren't doing this that I am, and that makes me feel better about myself. See, they're, they're pretty good people, and I'm not going to condemn them, and they're not doing, well, I'm doing better than them, so I'm okay. Or, we'll just pretend I'll make you think, I'll make it look like on the outside that I am doing all this. My heart is rotten. I, got, I hate you in my heart, but I'll smile and ask you how you're doing on Sunday morning. We won't ever air any of our stuff. We won't talk through it. We won't deal with it. We'll pretend that our relationships are great. And we'll have a little like social contract agreement. If I'll act like I'm good with you and you'll act like you're good with me, and we can all make each other feel better and we can numb each other spiritually so that we don't have to face the fact that we aren't this and we'll all pretend that we are. Because if we looked at reality, we would know we're not, and we can't bear to admit that we're not, so let's pretend we are. And then, let's construct our own rules. Like, in, instead of just coming like bare bones, exposed to what God says and exposed by what God says, let's build up our own system. And, and this is what that means, and this is how we do that here. And here's, If you're part of this and this and this, if you come to that Bible, if you're in a community group, and you give regularly, and you attend at least three-fourths of the time, Thank you for following Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a character change, a heart change that is so radical and revolutionary that no one can live up to it apart from Jesus. And so either you quit or you pretend. I mean, and, and, and that might be an oversimplification, but it also may not be. Like either you, you hate it and rebel against it or you get so exhausted that it just breaks you and crushes you and you can't do it anymore or you pretend that you're doing it and you invent your own version of it and you discard what God really means and you hide your heart behind your system and you help each other hide. Like, it's the same thing that can happen between somebody teaching up here and you all sitting out there, that I'll stand up here and I'll say things that feel good <laughs> and then you'll tell me what a good job I do. <laughs> and I like you tell me what a good job I do so I'll figure out a way to say things that feel good in the next week. And it's why it's so important for us to get out of the way and let the Word of God speak and expose to us because the reality is neither of these things. And the reality answers both of these things. Like, to those of us that want to pretend and say, yeah, I am good enough and and for all of us to have that little social contract together, there's a humbling that takes place right here where the Word of God is saying, you are not this. You can't live up to that. You haven't lived up to this Where was it? At one time, you were darkness. That's who you were naturally, apart from what God does for you and apart from what God does in you. There's the starting place. That is what you were. That is what I was. That's what we are, apart from Jesus. And so it humbles you, and it breaks you, and it, it, it destroys the facade and it strips away the pretense, and it won't let you pretend if you're willing to really come and say, this is what the Word of God says about me. But then on the other hand, the part of you that's either exhausted or hates it or rebels and is going to give up, it comes with more hope than you've ever, ever known. Like at the exact same time that it humbles you more than you've ever known, it gives you more hope than you've ever known, because nothing in this book says, get all this right so that God will love you. Get all this right so that you can be the people of God. That's not what he says. How many times here did he say, as children of the light, as children, because you already are. He loved you first. He came to you when you weren't these things. And he was these things toward you in Jesus. And now he's these things for you in Jesus in you. He's making you into this. And that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that this, this is not... Christianity is not a so-that religion. It's not get all this stuff right so that God will love you. That is not Christianity. Christianity is a because religion. Get all this stuff right because God already loves you. Because God lives in you. Because God is doing this for you. Because God is doing this in you. And you can see it right where we underlined right here. Like you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord already. He's changed this for you. He reached down into the darkness and pulled you out and changed your category before you start living like the light. And you see it right here. You are light in the Lord, so walk as children of the light. It's not the other way. It's not walk as children of the light so that you will be light in the Lord. You are. And so if it feels like too much, it is too much. But he's got an answer for you, and the answer's not you, it's Jesus. Jesus has done this, and so yes, he is the example that you can't ever live up to, but he's also the example that shows you he can do it. He has done it. He's already done it. And so if he comes to live in you, he's enough for you. He can do it in you, and God relates to you on the basis of Jesus and not on the basis of you because of what Jesus has already done for you, that God counts it as yours when he connects you to Jesus through faith, and then because of what Jesus does in you as his Spirit lives inside of you and starts to actually produce this stuff in you. Like he's already made you light in Jesus, and now Jesus is going to shine his light through you. He doesn't need any of your light, and it's a good thing because you don't have any. (laughs) We talked about it a couple weeks ago. We're the moon, and he's the sun. Like the moon is not a source of any light, it reflects the light of it. The sun's the source of all of it. The moon reflects the sun. Jesus is the source of light for everyone who would trust him and be united to him and follow him. He's the source. And the more in line with him that we are, the more that we look to him in faith, the more that his light reflects off of us and we're able to give the light that God wants from us. It's just not our light that we're giving. It's his light. Does that make? Sense? Am I saying that in a way that's... All right. What else? A couple more. Humanity, likes to empty words Humanity, the truth about us in relationship to God. Humanity likes to choose empty words before, or over, or instead of, is what Eric means right here, I think. God's Word. You want to point us to where you're looking at? Yeah, I was actually thinking, right before talking about the N6 where you see that uh, a Paul kind of warning. So uh, mm. kind, of kind of warning people to tell them let nobody deceive see you with empty word or because of these things God's wrath. Um, so it's almost like he's warning them because they are choosing the word so they have chosen. Yeah. Yeah, we've been in that place of choosing, and 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 you can see what a contrast, by the way, that is. It's the same thought that was up here that Chris pointed us to, with our first one. You know the 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 waves and wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes, all those things, the empty words that Eric's talking about here in verse six, the the things that that are spoken, taught, believed, even the assumptions that are made, like the entire worldview that is taken, that isn't centered on God, focused on God, built on God, doesn't have God at the center, doesn't have God as the foundation, doesn't grow out of who God is. That, and maybe here's the best way to say it. If God really is central, and just for a minute, let's not even argue about whether or not he is. Let's just, if, he, if God is central, And everything is supposed to revolve around him and is defined in relation to him. If you start with any other approach to life where something else is central, and it doesn't matter what it is, it can be something really, really bad that's direct rebellion against God, or it could be something that generally people would embrace as good, like some good humanitarian cause, some some good priority that that it seems like. But if you make that central, and everything's supposed to be revolving around God and built in relation to Him. It doesn't matter what this thing is. Everything is out of place. Right? Like, it can't be where it's supposed to be in relation to all reality because God's the one that defines where everything's supposed to be. And so, any scheme, any scheme, any, any approach, any mindset that doesn't start with God at the center, if God is the center, can lead you astray. And that's why it can be very worldly or it could be very religious and it can lead you astray if it's not centered on God. This is why that I really do believe that it is utterly crucial that we start with what does this teach about God. That we have to know who God is because God's nature and character, who he is within himself, defines everything else. Like everything is defined based on who he is. He is the definition of all things. He's the creator of all things. And we got that back up here in chapter 4, by the way, real quickly off the start. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You know, if all things are coming from Him and you try to approach anything apart from Him, you aren't going to see that the right way. And so that's why you know, with both of these sections there about how you can be deceived and tossed about and you're not grounded, that that the answer, the grace that Jesus has given us is he said, here is the gift that I'll give to my people. I'm going to raise up all sorts of, and by the way, we're not going to spend a lot, notice the plurality here. First of all, the plurality of functions, apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherd teachers, like the plurality there, and then the S, 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 S. It's one of the reasons that I get on my rants, and you're like, why does he say this all the time? This is not what we do. We he stop talking about it? It's just so common. It was common even in the New Testament. Just go read 1 Corinthians 1. Like all you got to do is read 1 Corinthians 1. You see this. But it's so common today in our celebrity culture to have a person, and it's their personality and their charisma and even their opinions or their emphases or whatever, whatever, and we build it on a person instead of it being built on Jesus, and then this plurality of, there's a plurality of teachers who are the gifts that Jesus has given to his church, specifically because he knows you've got to know God this way. This is the center of everything. And the world and every Christless religion or just every religion that's not focused on Christ is going to pull you in a thousand different directions. And unless you're grounded here on who God is, you're going to be susceptible to that. And it's because he loves you that he doesn't want you to be susceptible to that. He doesn't want you to be pulled by that. He doesn't want you to be led back into the darkness. He doesn't want you to be deceived. He is the truth, and he wants to give you the truth. And so his gifts, like in this particular section, his primary gifts to the church are, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of. Plural, plural, plural. People speaking with different voices, even gifted in slightly different ways. That you know, when Adam stands up here and talks, his voice is different than mine. I think that's why, part of the reason why that first 10 minutes hit me so powerfully last week, is because I know he was saying something that I've said before, but it was his words. And it was God speaking through him and him teaching it. And I got to hear it fresh. Like, I got to hear him say it the way that he's heard it, and it spoke to me, and it was just like, Man, that is so good, and I've got to remember. I texted him. I was like, I've got to remember that, <laughs> and I'm the one that said it like two years ago. <laughs> but when he speaks, it's his voice, and when Eric speaks, it's his voice, and Keith speaks, it's his voice, and Lou speaks, and it's his voice, and Darren speaks, and it's his voice. And, and and you know, I pray that God's going to keep raising up more teachers for here. I don't think that you know, this is like a limited thing of yeah, we've got this teaching team, and that's all. It's ever got. That's not what it is in my mind anyway. Because I also think, what if God wants to? reproduce what we're doing here, and scatter some of our teachers, but then also within all of our groups. This is why your voice is important. Even on Sunday mornings, like we want to make room for God to speak through you as he speaks through his word, but, but so much more in your life every day, like with the people that God's bringing in your life, that, that he does give you a voice, that there are people who will hear you who will never hear me because God's wired them up that way and you up that way, and he intends for that to be the case, and also because he doesn't want anybody, including me, especially me, to be the only one. Like, you know how terrible that would be for my soul? For anybody, how poisonous it would be? Like, I'm not the one, you're not the one. He gave gifts to each one. Right? Verse 7, grace was given to each one. And he's given you a voice and he's given you influence and he's given you relationships and people in your life that you can point them to the truth of God, the truth of who God is. But all of it, the, the, this main thing that he's building the church by multiple teachers teaching the same truth, one faith, one knowledge of the Son of God, so that the whole church will be built up and then guarded against all the things that aren't that. And our natural tendency, if the Spirit doesn't do the type of stuff that we're praying for the Spirit to do in our hearts, our natural tendency is we'll listen to the empty words. Because here's the thing, ever since the fall, like since Adam and Eve sinned and sin infected human nature, we're all poisoned. We're all broken. We're all turned around backwards. We're turned upside down, however you want to say it. Like like God created everything this way, and we're this way now. And so upside down is normal to us. Backwards is natural to us. Rejecting God is natural to us. Focusing on self, like me being, in that little illustration earlier, me being at the center is normal for me. And when I hear words that confirm that, that validate that, that push that, that teach that, I will naturally be drawn to them. Like that, it, if there is no other influence on you, it is where we will all drift over time to a worldly, self-centered, me-centered, anti-God view, whether we recognize it, we even turn religion into that. A self-centered, me-centered, my effort, my righteousness, my attainment, my validation. It's where we will all drift unless a supernatural, gracious, spiritual work of God by his spirit, by his truth in his word is constantly flipping us back the right way. And it's it's why when we really do engage this, it feels like, My word, I'm just getting twisted and stretched and pulled all the time. Yeah, because I'm in the wrong shape. (laughs) I need to be reshaped. I need to be turned around. I need my mind to be renewed. I need to be changed. I need my heart to be changed. But that is the natural thing that should happen when I'm totally backward naturally. (laughs) The supernatural spiritual work of God to constantly be calling us out of darkness into light, out of deception into truth, out of a me-centered view into a God-centered reality. One more. One more that stands out to you. If you've got it, no pressure if you don't. I'll point out a couple things if we have time for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tyson's pointed to verse twenty-four here, and he's given us another layer of what I've, I've been trying to say, and I really appreciate that because I feel like it's so much everywhere in the Bible that no matter what I say, it's inadequate. And it's one of the reasons I'm thankful that this doesn't depend on me saying it enough or saying it the right way, but it really does depend on the Spirit opening our eyes to see it and softening our hearts to really receive it. But what he's saying here is, even here when Paul's talking about this change from your old self to your new self, he doesn't say, make yourself new. He doesn't say, create a new self. He doesn't say, be determined to be new. It's put on like what's already been given to you. It, it, it's sort of like if, you know, that, that God comes as a gift and says, here's a new you. I've created a brand new you in Jesus. And this, the old you is just you. Like if you wanted to call it just Andy, like Andy alone. Andy and nothing else. And all I get from the old self is the stuff that's natural to me in my current fallen state. And then there's a new you that he creates in Jesus that's Christ in you. And it's still you. And the truth is, it's more you than you've ever been because this is who God actually made you to be. But so you've got just you, and that's usually the old self, the flesh. The Bible refers to it in different ways, sinful nature. Or then you've got new you that's Christ in you. And so God hands you this new self. He says, I've created a new you in Christ, and the new you is Christ in you. But it is as if that new you can just hang in your closet. And you can look at it, and you can know it's there, and you can know that God has given given it to you. But the act of faith, the response to God's grace, is for you to say, by faith today, I'm going to put that on. That's going to be who I, not out of my effort and strength, but I'm going to really believe that God has given this to me. And that if I walk in faith and dependence on him, this is who I'll be as he does his work. But it's not, hey, you need to make yourself new. You need to create a new you. You need to be a new you. No, it's just put on what he's already given to you. (laughs) Live out what he's already done for you. Live out what he's doing in you. Put on your new self. Created. You see, like past tense? Done. He's already done it. He's created you after his likeness, in true righteousness and holiness. There's what he's done and given to you. And Paul said, your job is to respond and live in that by faith. It's not your job to do that. It's not your job to produce that. It's not your job to make that happen. It's your job to receive that from him and then consciously depend on him as you live that out. Do you see the difference in those approaches? And do you see how like most of morality, and even most of religion when it's not grounded in a real gospel is a call for you to work real hard to make this happen. And Christianity is a call for you to believe real hard that Jesus already made this happen. And Jesus offers this to you. And what he offers to you is greater than anything you could ever make happen anyway. And that every moment when you turn to him and you look to him You'll live out of this new self that He's creating. And every moment that you don't, and listen, you're not, going to, you're not going to do it perfectly. There's not some kind of pressure and guilt coming from up here today, like you better do this perfectly. Like we, we see the progression of that's why. Do you realize how much he talks about growing and being built up and maturing throughout these two chapters? But do you realize just the assumption of You'll be a child in the faith for a while. And you need to grow into something more mature, more consistent. And so it's not like he's saying, hey, get right here right now and be a full-grown adult who's perfect all the time, or it's not real. He's just saying, when you're here, we know we still need to keep growing. (laughs) And what happens is the moments when you stumble, when you don't do this, they should remind you all over again of, oh, yeah, I should be humbled by the fact this is who I am every time I don't rely on him. And this is how much I need him. Let me learn a little more to trust him more. Let me learn a little more to depend on him more. Let me learn a little more how necessary it is, how much he is my life, that I need him every day, every moment. It's why for you just to come here for an hour, hour and a half, once a week, it's not going to cut it. Because we all are way more desperate than that. (laughs) We're all way more spiritually needy than that. You need God an hour from now. You need God Monday morning and Monday at lunch and Monday afternoon and Monday evening and Monday when you go to bed and Tuesday when you get up and just keep every moment. It's also why that I want to try my best to hand you all a gift, an equipping gift where you're not just dependent on leaders and teachers to say this is what God's saying to you this week. That's one place where he does it, but that all the time that you are able to encounter God this way, that you're able to spend time in prayer saying, God, will you speak, show me who you are from your word, and it becomes a habit of your heart and a habit of your life to look to him and depend on him in that way so that he's building you up and you're growing in your faith. Not dependent fully on external teaching, which can lead you astray so easily, but hearing from him, being built up so that you're now speaking the truth in love. And I I want to read this one verse real quickly because it just coming to my mind. Um... And there's 10 places we could look, and maybe we'll do it. Some of this, The old self, new self, like this is me, but this is also me. I'm going to call this just me, Christ in me. It's so hard to use words to do it, but I feel okay with that because I feel like the Bible has a hard time using words to do it. It's why Paul, and this is a famous verse. A lot of you, if you're familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard it a lot, but I hope you'll hear in this verse exactly what we're talking about today in Ephesians. In Galatians 2, verse 20, when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Here's the just me, that old I, old self. That's like it got killed, crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The old me is dead, but Christ lives in me. So this new me is different than that old I that got crucified, but they're both me. I mean, it's impossible in language. The, and then what's the shift he makes? The life I live in the body. And you're like, hey, I thought I just got crucified. Old I, crucified in Christ. New I. This new life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. This new me is depending on Jesus, relying on Jesus. He lives in me now, and, and him in me is a totally different me. So different that the old me is dead when this me is alive. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so he's saying, yeah, like there's an old me, and it's dead. And there's a new me, and they're both me, but this new me is Christ in me, and the way that I live in the new me is by faith in him, by relying on him. And I'll just pull one more quickly just so we can see it one more time. In 1 Corinthians 15, it's the same sort of thing, but this time Paul's talking about how unworthy he was to be an apostle. That, that if, if it was based on deserving something, earning something, working for it, not just that he never would have been a missionary, an apostle, and, and one of the most important church planters in the history of the church, it's not just that Paul wouldn't have been that. Paul never would have been saved if it depended on Paul because he was persecuting Christians. He was opposed to the very name of Jesus being spoken. He was arresting Christians and having them thrown in prison and having them murdered for believing in Jesus when God's grace came and saved him. So he says, I'm the least of the apostles, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Not at all because of me, completely because of him. This old me didn't make any of this happen. The grace of God made it all happen, and his grace to me was not without effect. So when his grace came and got a hold of me, it really changed me and made me new. No, here's the result. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I. And do you hear the, I'm struggling here. I don't want you to think I'm saying me. I'm not saying the old me. I'm not saying my effort. I'm not saying I actually did this, but I really did this because this is really who I am now, and his grace is at work in me. So he says, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And so that time he doesn't use the old and new language. He doesn't use the crucified and a lot. He uses the, hey, here's who I am apart from the grace of God. And then there's a new me defined by the grace of God and empowered by the grace of God. That when the grace of God was at work in me, it wasn't just, that he was like, okay, we'll pretend that's not you anymore and we'll say this is you. That's not what grace looks like. He was like, the grace of God was stronger than anything I'd ever encountered in my entire life. It changed me in such a way that I now worked harder than I would have if I'd been depending on me. It didn't make me do less. It made me do more, except I wasn't doing it. (laughs) He was doing it. His grace was doing it. His grace was the source. His grace was the power. And I I had to, by faith, stop relying on me, stop trusting my strength, stop trusting my effort. I had to die to that. I had to be crucified to that. And find a new source of life and a new source of strength, a new source of righteousness. And all of it had to be the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And so as we move toward the Lord's Supper here, and we're not going to develop this a lot this week for time reasons, but it's been on my mind. There's just been several things the past couple weeks that have reminded me that naturally, apart from the gospel and apart from God opening our eyes, to the supernatural way that He's created, because that's the deal. There's something above us that He has created, and He reveals, and He has to lift our heads and open our eyes and help us see. This is the only way. But when we're not looking up at that, like when, we, when our eyes aren't on Him and we're down at the world, there are two basic paths that we see for the way we approach life and the way we approach God: rebellion. or rigid obedience. This is why I talked about it at the beginning, but rebellion is just either I don't care and I'm going to ignore it and I want to do things my way, or it's I tried and I can't and I hate the feeling of being a failure and I hate knowing that I'm not enough and you know what, I've tried everything they told me to do and it didn't work, forget that. And that's when we turn away. And so rebellion is the thing that externally, it looks wrong to us. If you were to think about Luke chapter 15, when Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, rebellion is the one that we think of when we think of the prodigal son, the one that leaves. Like I, I don't want our relationship with the Father. anymore. I don't want to be here. I, don't want, I want to do my own thing, my own way. Just give me some money and let me do whatever I want. And we say that whether we say it consciously or not to God. I want to live my life my way. I don't care about your rules. I don't care about your holiness. I don't care about what you say. I'm going to do whatever I want, whatever feels good to me, whatever I think, just whatever I want to do. But rigid obedience, I want you to see how it's not at all what Ephesians 4 and 5 is. Like the message of Ephesians 4 and 5 is, is not, a hey, turn away from rebellion. The message is not stop doing the wrong thing and try real hard to do the right thing. Because if you try out of dependence on yourself, you're still missing the whole point. You're not supposed to try out of dependence on yourself. You're supposed to live out of dependence on Jesus. You're supposed to know God more. That's where we started in the prayer in chapter 1, that we would know Him more even today, that we would grow in our knowledge of the Son of God. And if all of your rigid obedience is just you making an effort, and like if it's just you being more disciplined than other people, and you having a stronger will than other people, Or you being better at playing the game and looking good on the outside than other people and better at stuffing everything real deep inside so they can't see the worst stuff about you than other people. First of all, that's not what God wants for you. That's not what Christianity is. But also, it's horrible for your soul. The people that struggled the most to respond to Jesus when he was on earth were the people who rigidly obeyed God the most. The religious leaders, the Pharisees. The people that had openly rebelled, they at least knew they were wretched and they needed a savior. The people who had rigidly obeyed were like, I've got this thing covered. How dare you come and say I'm not good enough. I'm better than all of them. Why would you even talk to them when I'm here and I'm this good? It's the people that rigidly obey that start to sound a whole lot more like Satan. (laughs) Look at how good I am. I should be God. Neither one of these paths are Christianity. Neither one of these paths is what God's calling you to. And and it's funny how we'll swing between them without ever looking up to God. If you in your life, if your initial exposure was rebellion, or even, and sometimes it's generational, if if parents lived really rebelliously and their sin really affected you, a lot of times our answer to that will be to swing to rigid obedience because we're afraid of the pain that rebellion causes. And so it's just like, I can't ever go through that again. I, I, know, I know what I'm capable of, or I know what they did, so you've got to do everything right all the time. And that's not, you're not seeing God as the answer, you're seeing you as the answer. And the same way on the other side, if you've tried rigid obedience, and it has exhausted you, and it's worn you out, and it's caused bitterness to grow inside of you over time, you may rebel against that and run over to rebellion. Like, I'm so tired of that that this sounds better. Or if you were exposed to rigid obedience, you know, growing up. And, and, and probably if you were, what happens is inside your house, you see the hypocrisy and the inconsistency and that that's not really who they are. That doesn't really work. That didn't change. And you're like, forget that. I'm running to rebellion. And this is what we do. And then we drag everybody with us, right? Oh, you rebellious people, you need to go over here and obey. Or, oh, you silly religious people, just forget about it. Come over here with me. Just... And God's calling out to you today, and he's saying, it's not this, and it's not this. Multiple times in these chapters, he said, you're children. I don't know if you've heard it. Children of the Lord, children of the light. The prayer that led into chapter 4. He says, the Father, I pray to the Father. This was completely foreign before Christianity even in Judaism. Go back and read the Psalms. It strikes me sometimes how intimate David's relationship with God was, and yet he calls himself a servant over and over and over. Like, it's never child. And Jesus shows up and, like, teach us to pray, and he starts out, Abba. Father is like the literal translation, but Abba in that language, Daddy is probably better. Just this intimate, I know him and he loves me. He's my Abba, Father. And both these, Jesus says, I want to replace these with real relationship. And you haven't initiated it. Go back and read Ephesians 1: that the Father has adopted you because of the great love that He has for you. That he chose to love you as his children, he chose to be your father, to treat you like his children, and now he says, "So know me as father and respond to me as father." I want you to know me as father, and so you're not rebelling against some harsh dumb, demand stuff that you can Hearted and kind and forgiving, and he loves you. And you've got, to know, you've got to know who he is, or you won't even know what you're trying to rebel against. Do you see? I'm knowing who God is the answer for everything. Knowing who God is is the answer for everything. And the same way, he's not just do what I say. It's not the heart of these things. He said, I know how I made you. I know who you are, who you're supposed to be. I know what's best for you. Like, this, is even how, this is how my own son, fully divine, Holy God, God the Son, this is how He lives, and this is perfect for you. And I want this for you, and I know you can't get there on your own, so I'll give it to you. I'll live it inside of you. But know me as Father. And last night, God gave me an illustration of this at two thirty in the morning, which that may sound like holy and spiritual. I don't really appreciate that. <laughs> um, I'm dead asleep, and all of a sudden I hear this. <laughs> <laughs> and our girls do that every now and then in their sleep, and it's like, please, please let that be all. Like, if if we don't move or make any noise, will they go back to sleep? But it was, something was off, and it was, I couldn't, at first I couldn't, and I realized, that's coming from the foot of the bed. And I was like, what in the world? And so then, finally, I hear, can somebody please help me right now? And, if you knew the surge of adrenaline in that moment. So I shot up, and Sydney was, there's a bench at the bottom of the bed, and she was like on the bench and laying up on the mattress, and she had her face in her hands, and I'm thinking, something's wrong. She has a bunk bed, and I thought she's fallen out and broken her nose, and she's the type that she would try to act really, really calm if it was really, really bad. So, like, she's broken her nose or she's broken her foot and she's trying to downplay it. And so, I'm already in my head, like, ready just to scoop her up, carry her down to the van, and here we go. So, I've been down, I'm like, what's wrong? And she goes, The ketchup. I can't get it open. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Sweetie, do you know where you are? She's like, No. <laughs> And so she had climbed out of her bunk bed in her sleep, walked into our, our, and I asked her this morning, and the first thing she remembers is when I woke her up in the room, and she was like, I was dreaming about ketchup. I was like, I pieced that together. Um, And so it ended up being fun, no big deal. Walked her back to bed, got her, and I was like, and she was in bed, and I was like, do you know where you are? She's like, I'm in my bed. I was like, okay, like, you're awake, we're good. Um, But really, in that moment, like, my father's heart, like when I really thought something was wrong. Like it didn't matter, it was too... Th- and then I was, I was basically awake the rest of the night. I did sleep some more, but for a long time, just like, <laughs> just the adrenaline, and it calms down. But I, and so I lay there, and I thought about this. And the thing is, I'm not a perfect father. A lot of times, I'm not even a good father. And in the, just the most shadow, small way... And in whatever way that Jesus lives in me, just the reflection of the Father's love through me for my child is a picture of the real thing, the best thing, the perfect thing. The thing that he has for you and the thing that he has for me and the thing that he has for her better than I could ever have for her. And I, I, I want you to know that you have a Father who when you say, can somebody help me right now? Every single time, his father's heart is running towards you. He's not inconvenienced. He's not angry. Whatever you need, when you're like, I've messed up the whole thing, and I can never be this. And it's too much. It was too much for me yesterday, and I didn't do it. It It's too much for me today, and I already know it's gonna be too much for me tomorrow. How in the world don't you get sick and tired of me doing this? And he's just saying. Ask me for help and you can have it. Ask me for grace and it's yours. Ask me for mercy and it's yours. I gave it to you before you even asked. Do you not think that I'll keep giving it to you all the more as you learn to ask? He's calling you to a real relationship with him where you know him as your father, where you know that he already loves you and you start to love him and love other people that way. And so with that thought in mind, I'm going to go ahead and have the kids come in. And so if somebody wants to let Teresa know to bring them in, and I just want you to reflect for a minute on the Father's love for you. Like, as we get ready to take these elements, and if you want to be preparing, you can. to open. I know it takes a minute to open them sometimes. And as kids come in here in the next minute or two, if you'll be watching for your kids. But I want you to think then of how much more incredible this moment is. Like, on one level, just that the Father loved you this way. The Father loved you not when you were obeying him. Not when you were his child. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were his enemies, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that Christ died for us. And so before you were any of this, he loved you this way then so that he could make you his child and love you as his child. This is the extent of his love for you. But then even more, if you can comprehend a perfect father, Not a me kind of father. You're not the kind of father that hears the whisper, the whimper is like, I hope that's all it is. Please leave me alone. Let me sleep. But he's never that way. He's never that selfish. He's never that impatient. He's never that self-centered. And most of all, it's not making an excuse for me. He's never that tired, (laughs) right? He doesn't have to sleep. He doesn't get worn down. He doesn't doesn't say, I've given you all I've got and I don't have anything else. (laughs) Leave me alone. I say that. I said that yesterday. Like I was just so worn out. It was just I don't have anything left to give them. <laughs> and I didn't feel bad about it. I was mad at them. Like, leave me alone. And don't, don't wake me up at 2.30, my word. But there was still enough Father love in me that when I really thought something was wrong, there we, he's not like that. He's never tired. Never tired of you. Never tired of giving love. Never runs out of strength, energy, love, grace, mercy, compassion. Like He always has it for you. But, so imagine the perfect Father And then imagine the perfect Father who already has the perfect Son, who loves Him perfectly and submits to Him perfectly and obeys Him perfectly. That's who Jesus, the Son of God, is to His Father. And imagine that perfect Father looking at that perfect Son and saying, I'm going to kill you so I can have them. I'm going to break you so I can heal them. I'm going to turn away from you so I can draw near to them everything that ought to happen to them, I'm going to make it happen to you. That's His love for you. That's the relationship He offers you. That's the power of His love to save you and make you His children, but then to live in you, that that love would live in you and change you. If that love lives in you, There is no limit in this world to what he will do through his people and through his church, through his family, through his children. He rejected his son so that he could accept us as his children. He took his son's life so that he could give us new life. He did not answer his son in that moment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did not answer his son in that moment so that he can answer you as his child forever. That's why we take this today. That's what we remember and that's why we sing and we worship. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to worship together. Pastors, elders, wives, staff, if you want to pray with somebody who will be down here during this first song, we're going to sing a couple. Um, but I just invite you to focus on Jesus and his sacrifice and the Father's love for you in Him. And so as we take the bread, Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. If you want to stand and sing with us, if you want to come and, and just kneel and pray steps are open for that if you want to pray with somebody we'll be down here let's worship together